So the world as we know it has changed, and that means a lot of unemployment out there as well. Lots of family and friends, possibly. Possibly some staff members that are just not cutting it for this new challenged economy. It's a hustle world right now. As entrepreneurs, we easily become the save the world kind of people in lots of folks' eyes. And in this episode of Entrepreneurial Vitamin, we're going to talk about what that looks like to overcome our own staffing challenges, what it looks like to have even family and friends working for us, and definitely what it looks like to keep our sanity through it all. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Patty Rappa. I've been a business owner and turnaround management coach for over 20 years, and I've seen it all. We're entering a new business climate, one with storms ahead, and it's not going to be easy, and it's certainly not going to be about the quick fix. This is about building business strength, endurance, and health. This is Entrepreneurial Vitamin. We've got this. Hey guys, welcome, welcome. So today we're going to actually talk a little bit about staff. You know, staff, I always tell my past clients, I've told my past clients, or I tell my even my current staff managers um, and folks that I even coach nowadays, um, that the hardest part of being an entrepreneur is running your staff. I don't care how big your corporation is or how small. Um, doesn't matter if you're moving millions of dollars, if you've got relationships all over the world, or if you're literally working out of, you know, a 10 by 10 office. Um, the hardest piece to any organization, any corporation, any business is to properly and successfully engage staff. And what I mean by engage is to have them definitely have the buy-in that you're hoping they're going to have for the purpose of, you know, the outcome, whatever it is that you're wanting to accomplish within your organization. So we're actually going to talk a little bit about what that looks like, especially right now in times of craziness where the uncertainty is everywhere. People are losing jobs left and right. Um, As leaders, as entrepreneurs, it's easy to say, well, there's a big pool of people I can hire now. Everyone's unemployed. I don't have to maintain such close um, watch over my staff. If they don't do the job, then I'll find someone who will. That's our first error in judgment when we go down that route, because what ends up happening sooner or later is that the patterns are going to repeat themselves. Folks are going to end up doing the same stuff that the previous folks were doing, or it's going to end up following you around and you're going to wonder why can't I get this piece right? And it starts with how we frame it, how we frame the situation, how we're teasing it out and how we're going to ultimately get the best outcome, no matter who's sitting in that chair across from us at that table and who we end up trusting with our day to day and our clients. So we're going to talk about three things to always do in this in this time. Um, First and foremost, well, anytime, actually when dealing with staff. Um, I'll share some stories as well. You know, I've been down this road so many times. I've, I've gone down my early years. Um, as I shared before in previous podcasts, I had a tech company in my early 20s. And we were very, very successful. We were doing great. Had an office downtown, had tons of clients. People loved us. Sorry if there's some background noise. We are quarantining still and we are podcasting and there are construction pieces going around here around the building um so yeah we had our um our different folks coming through and and different you know opportunities 
But at that time, I thought, you know, the best thing I can do um, is offer these opportunities. These, you know, we're making great money. Offer these opportunities to family because family was actually interested in coming to work with us. We had um, openings and why not? You know, you always want to extend that opportunity to people that you know and love, right? And that was one of my first moments of just aha, I guess you could call it, when I realized that hiring family is probably one of the worst things I could have done. I'll share with you in just a little bit about how I actually did it all over again by hiring my own son. Um, But not that it was a bad situation. It was just a difficult situation because at the end of the day, when all is said and done, when you have family working for you and any business is going to have its challenges, no matter what you do, you're going to find yourself having to make a decision on whether or not you're going to actually have to, you know, make some changes, work things out, recreate the, you know, the, the job description sometimes and lots of different things. And when that relationship is tied back to a personal relationship like family, you don't want to ever reach a situation where the business outweighs the personal relationship. And I've done that so many times when it came down to hiring family. So I'll talk a little bit more about that um, here in just a moment. And the other part of the takeaway today is how to work through the conflicts with the staff folks, how to make sure that they are actually acknowledged for their voice and making sure that they get a chance to really get on the same side of the table with you. Because sometimes it's not about, you know, you're doing this wrong, I'm doing this right, you know, you need to do this better and I'm tired and those types of things. Sometimes it's just acknowledging the situation on the table as an item, as an actual physical item, recognizing it for what it is. And then part three of what we're going to talk about is how you co-create the outcome, how you make that solution together happen. Um, So yeah, let's dive into how staff can be your best asset and your most difficult asset in your most important asset, um, all at the same time in this entrepreneurial environment, uh, segment. So to start with, as I shared, I did have family working with me early on. Um, the biggest challenge there is, you know, at that particular time I had my mother-in-law, my father-in-law and my husband working all for my, um, uh, tech company. And we had sales to make, we had clients to take care of, we had so many, many things to do that, like any good startup, you know, you feel like, okay, well, this is family, we're all going to have each other's back. Yes, the intention was there to have each other's back. Yes, everybody wanted good things, everybody had good ideas and wanting to put that positivity in and make something phenomenal happen. But was everybody equipped for that? The answer is no, because as employees, as staff people, we don't have everything we need to make everything happen every day. Um, It just isn't possible. We have to learn these things. We have to grow into these opportunities and we have to help each other grow into their, um, everyone's, their own greatness. And so when you're in the heat of it, when you're working through these channels of making something happen, in this particular case, we were in a situation where we were in hitting, we were coming up on the Y2K thing. We had tons of money going out the door with buying equipment. Um, this was early 2000, um, buying equipment, buying just time blocks of tech work and 
just contract after contract after contract, bid after bid, trying to make it work, trying to pull it all together. And there were pieces unknown again. We're stepping into an area of unknown, which is very much what we're in right now, an area of unknown. So we were stepping into an area of unknown, didn't know how dramatic this, you know, Y2K thing was going to hit. Everybody was, the clients were in a panic. People were stressed. They were wondering what to do. And we had, we had a huge learning curve ahead of us. We were like, okay, what is our unknown? How do we get through this unknown? How do we buy and not lose our ass with, you know, vendors? How do we buy enough equipment, enough cable, enough machines, enough this, that, you know, all these pieces, how do we have enough hours in a day to complete it all? How do we make it all happen as a small corporation? We were smaller, we were less than 10 people and trying to build it all out in a way that made financial sense as well, because you can't bill the client many times until the job is done. And so we found ourselves extremely extended um, financially. At that time, um, we had a really cute little apartment that we had to give up so that we could afford to pay my family um, the staff and keep everybody, you know, fed. And so we ended up downgrading into like a one bedroom. We ended up doing all kinds of crazy things to just keep the, the, the cash flow in the company so that we could afford to buy everything we needed to buy. And so stress levels were through the roof. It was incredibly tough to come into work and be like, okay, what are we doing today? Who are we bidding? Who are we, you know, solving? Who, who's going out to run cable here and put an install a machine there? And mind you, in the background, in my head, I'm thinking, how did I even get myself into this? How did I even end up here? And it was because I was trying to people please so many, you know, folks that were needing my help, my clients that wanted, you know, to have their upgrades done and all that stuff. They pegged us as being tech people because we had developed their websites and done a lot of their web work. They now thought, you know, well, they can ask us to do this piece too. And as a people pleaser, and that's the first takeaway from this conversation is you're not going to please everyone. You're simply not. And the first person that you have to make sure is okay is yourself. You have to make sure that all of the day-to-day things that you have planned out for yourself actually are going to keep that air mask on you. And what I mean by that is the plane is, is going to go down if you don't, you know, if you're not careful and that's the corporation, you got to keep that air mask on you because if you're not well and you're not taking care of yourself, there is no way that you'll be able to take care of the people around you. And in those years, I actually had a mental breakdown. I remember sitting on the, on the, on the front lawn, crying with a bottle of wine in my hand, <laughs> wondering what to do. The bills were piling up. The invoices were there. Everybody wanted their stuff. I had nothing else to give. My days were literally, I'd wake up at 7 a.m. I didn't go to bed till 2 a.m. I had a, um, a seven-year-old at that time that needed my attention, my love, and I didn't have a breath to take. And I was still, you know, being a mom and cooking dinners and doing all the stuff that we do, you know, at at the end of the night. And so it was the most trying time I had ever lived through. And mind you, I had, I had a seven year old, but I was also in my 20s. So I had had my child when I was um, 18. So I had been through, you know, teenage pregnancy, I had been through all the things, the challenges, the mental, all the things that come about when you're going through stuff like that. That was nothing compared to this particular 
crazy that was happening. And so I remember laying, just laying on the front lawn with a bottle of wine, just crying, looking up at the moon and thinking and asking God, I'm like, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I can't fire my family. I can't tell them to go away. And, you know, they're making me crazy because nobody knows what to do either. I can't have conversations with them because everybody thinks I'm a total bitch and I was being a total bitch. And I certainly can't walk away from this because all of my money is tied into this company. I can't sell it because no one's going to buy it right now. We're too far in debt. So many things. And I remember just kind of looking up and thinking, what about if I just hand it over to you? Take it. It's that whole, you know, carry on what Jesus take the wheel thing. And I decided that I was going to actually do that to start with. I wasn't going to try and figure it all out. I wasn't going to, I was going to listen. I was going to listen to my heart, take care of my soul and be okay with whatever comes about. Even if that meant it all went straight to hell. And so that was step one is to make peace for myself so that I can navigate the crazy, keep my air mask on as this damn plane was going down and figure out what to do next. Long story short, the plane went down. We went bankrupt. We actually had to restructure the whole corporation, everything. And I thought, again, it was the end of the world. But there was a sense of peace through that whole process. I knew things were falling apart around me. We ended up having to, you know, basically let the whole family go because we couldn't afford to keep them. Everybody had to go get jobs elsewhere. And everything went straight down the tubes as needed to for me to be able to get back to a place where I was doing tech work, web development, enjoying my life, making money. But that whole chapter needed to close. Now, is the takeaway here that you need to let your corporation go straight down the tubes? No. More than likely, your corporation is not going to go down the tubes. The takeaway is, is that if you are not okay, you can't make your business okay. And you certainly can't save the people if you are not okay. So that's step one is to really take care of your mental, your emotional, let it go as far as you having to know, have all the answers, as far as you having to know all the, you know, dips and the, you know, fallouts and all the things that you're not going to have it all figured out. You're going to get sideswiped by some situation that you can't handle and you're going to have to know how to be okay in that situation. So fast forward, new successful company, thriving. We had accounts, you know, people, vendors, and, you know, tied to Disney and all kinds of crazy, crazy, fun, 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 fun projects. And now we're in a situation where we had to make a decision on what to do next. Um, because we were kind of feeling like, is this it? Do we want to raise our child in central Florida? Things were getting busier. We wanted to have more of a like, kind of a nature kind of lifestyle, nature driven, light, lighter kind of world for him. Um, so we started reaching out to different mission organizations and folks and thought, you know, we have, we have things we can, we can sell, we can lease the house, we can, you know, sell the company and we can take time to figure out what the next chapter is going to be. You know, our, our son was about 10 years old at this point and we ended up doing just that. And we ended up going across country, um, hooked up a minivan and a pop-up, camped out all the way. It was super fun summer. 
and ended up going to the West Coast and discovering some different things and really loved um, Oregon. Oregon was great for our son to finish growing up in because it was all trees and nature and just really a slower paced life. And in that scenario, I found myself in kind of a similar boat where we were looking to see what we were going to do next. Um, We had sold the company back home in Orlando and we were figuring out what, what's the next chapter. And I thought, you know, what I love the most about what I did back in Orlando was the design work, the, the putting together campaigns. And that's what I went to school for ultimately. So uh, communication, um, marketing communications. So I thought, why not? Let me just dive deep into the ad agency world and start working there. And so I did a lot of those type of projects and a lot of work there and found myself in a similar boat again. This time it wasn't family that I hired. It was a whole new group of creatives whole new ball of wax, whole new group of people, people that needed to be inspired, people that needed to be, you know, just kind of on fire on a daily basis. I didn't know how to keep designers inspired. These are artistic people. I didn't know. I knew how to work with texts. Texts were very black and white, you know, zeros and ones. You give them the task, they come in, they do the work and they go home and go back to gaming or whatever they do to have fun. And they, they weren't complicated, but designers creatives were a whole new group of people, whole new entire, you know, um, mindset. And so we had to start working collaboratively. I had to stop thinking so corporately. I had to start thinking on what is it that actually motivates them to create these layouts for me in a way that is inspired in a way that's actually going to speak to the clients. And so we ended up working very much on personal development, We'd have group meetings and things that were very much in tune with what it looks like to create a communication piece that is going to build on the client's just current state. And getting a creative, especially a millennial creative, that's a big piece because we had a lot of millennials working for us at that time. Getting a creative to really identify with, you know, where clients mindset is or where they're at with their creative process and all of that. That was another task in itself. So I had to work through a lot of channels. Once again, coming back to these internal frustrations of why aren't they actually hitting the ball? I've given them this project. They asked me for creative license on these, you know, these accounts and they're not nailing it. They're not getting it right. The designs are 1982 in some cases because we actually did have folks that were older too. And that was a lesson learned. How do you tell somebody that is older than you that they're not nailing the design work because their point of view is outdated? Do you send them back to school? Do you tell them that they need to, you know, sharpen their skills, that they're just not going to be able to keep their job if they don't go out and get, you know, some, some better understanding in reference to what, what's current? Or do you just live with the situation and overcompensate in areas when they don't get it right? And I actually did that. I overcompensated. Every time I get a new design from, you know, these folks, I would go back and I would edit those designs so that they would be more relevant, more current. And I decided to keep them on board out of just empathy. Didn't want to have them, didn't want to let them go. Didn't want to make them feel bad. And that's the other part too that was a very big lesson for me is that you're not going 
to please everyone. But the first thing that needs to happen is you need to be okay with that, that you're not going to, you're not there to be everyone's friend. You're there to make sure that everyone is taken care of, that the client is taken care of. And that was a big piece that I had to very much come to grips with because when you're sitting there and you're, you've got these people, you know, across the table from you and you start looking at the objectives, you can attack them or you can attack the problem. And my first go-to as a young entrepreneur is I would say, you know, you, you need to, you need to fix this. You need to make sure that we're getting this right. You need to do more research. You, 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 and that set them up for defense. That set them up. Well, I'm doing the best I can. I don't understand why you don't appreciate the hard work I'm putting in all these hours. And mind you, these were older folks. These weren't the millennials. These were folks that were very committed to their work. They were doing incredible amounts of work. It just wasn't hitting the nail on the head. And so I ended up going down a path where I would make, you know, like I said, concessions and make and adjust the things myself, kind of do it, you know, can't get it right. No one does it right. I need to do it myself. That kind of mindset. And that caused just anxiety. It caused relationship strain. When what should have happened, and this is my takeaway and things I learned later on in life as I worked with organizations on an organizational development piece, which I'll get into in just a bit, is that we should have both gotten together on the right side of the table. We should have both been on that side of the table together, looking at the objective on the table and co-creating an outcome. And what I mean by that is like you have a situation where a client's not happy the staff person that was in charge, that the, the situation that, you know, played out was wrong and it didn't, it didn't come out the way it needed to, to actually take, and years later I learned this methodology where you actually take an object, an item, a block, a cup, a coffee cup or whatever, and you place it in the middle of the table and you ask that person to physically come around the other side crazy it sounds like crazy madness but it actually works and you both look at it and you identify that as the problem and you say okay so the client's not happy here's what they're saying this is it and you're you're now talking about the item the problem objectively not personally not attacking the the individual and because they're sitting on the same side of the table as you you're now co-creating the solution. Well, what do you think should happen? Okay. Well, yeah, that could, that could work. And you start and write it down. Get a whiteboard out, get a piece of paper out, write it down. Because what happens in those moments, and trust me, that individual is going to see the writing on the wall. They're going to come to their own conclusions saying, I think I need more training. I think I need to actually get some help on this. I don't think I'm going to nail this by myself. They're going to give you those pieces. You're not going to have to point at that individual and tell them, you need more training. You need to go figure this out. You, you, you. Nobody wants to hear that. And in the end, that individual ends up thanking you for taking the time to attack the situation, the problem, the, the object, if you will, with a more just easygoing approach and co-creating that outcome and making them a part of the solution. 
So that was one of my big takeaways with the ad agency is that I was always on this like, what did, what do I do? I'm overcompensating. How do I fix this? And my story is that I burn bridges. People that I would have picnics at their house with and visit with their kids and all of that, those people never spoke to me again because I was a young, crazy out of my mind. You need to fix this. I can't run a business like this person. Years later, I learned how I should have approached it. And that's my sad story. But it doesn't mean it has to be, you know, that way forever. I learned from those mistakes and my next corporations, my next projects, the next things I worked on were that much more successful because I started taking those steps to work. And I didn't learn those techniques until later on when I actually started working with the organizational development folks that I um, that mentored me for a couple of years and taught me the value of working through the challenges with your staff people who are ultimately, again, your biggest asset, your hardest job, and very much the most important piece of making sure that you really do have a success story in the end. Because if your people are not successful in the end, you really weren't a true leader to them. You may have had a successful business, you may have had, you may have made money, but what you did with the people is everything. So fast forward to then future years as working with, you know, the folks that we, um, we dove deep into their organizations. I, I left the ad agency world, um, stepped away from that, got a little burnt out because there were a lot of clients that we were developing art, um, artwork and campaigns and all that good stuff for, uh, television, billboards, radio. But the dysfunction of what would happen, we'd bring lots of people to their door, but then all of a sudden they needed a new campaign. They needed to build more. They need to get more on their plate. Um, it just kind of was a pattern. And so that's when I started realizing that we needed to get deeper into the organizational development piece and started really diving deep into what's happening behind that curtain. Because I'm bringing clients to your door, but you're always in need of a new campaign, a new message. What's happening? Are you not retaining the clients? Are they not seeing value? What's, what's happening there? And so I started diving deep and this is where this piece, believe it or not, came into play even harder when it came down to working out the problems is that if you're now not sitting in front of your employee, you're now sitting in front of your client and trying to tell them what's wrong trying to explain to them what's wrong. Imagine the catastrophe if you're pointing your finger at them, telling them, you, you, you. No, you now have to get them on the side of the table with you, looking at the objective on the table and identifying ways to overcome that and taking that personal attack off. And as a consultant, as someone that, you know, is there to fix problems, you know, if you don't do that piece, then they're not going to buy into what you're offering. And sooner or later, they're not going to work with you anymore. So that was a hard piece I had to learn. And thankfully, by that time, I was already working with the consultants that were my mentors and teaching me the organizational development piece on how to co-create outcomes, how to get buy-in, how to get these folks on board, that it helped me understand, okay, this isn't a you and me thing. This isn't us thing working out this problem on the table. How do we do that? And a lot of the clients that I was working with at that time were family-owned businesses. So those years of dealing with my own family-owned business were really coming into play. Were really, I mean, I understood their pain. I understood their struggle. These were, in, in many cases, 
husbands and wives running their businesses. I had another client that was a family of brothers running their businesses. Um, so many family businesses and trying to help them understand that this isn't that your family member is failing you and they don't love you. This is a situation they don't know how to unwind. They don't know how to unravel. So the best thing that we can do right now is to take time to start dissecting it all. And we do it together and then we're going to put it back together together. And if it doesn't work then, then we're going to find another solution. But it's not about you and me and us and them. It's more about how are we building this in a way that makes sense for everyone. So that's the next, you know, piece that I remember being just so incredibly valuable is understanding where everyone is coming from. And again, it doesn't mean that you give in. It doesn't mean that you overcompensate because, oh, you feel sorry for this person. They're going through a lot. So you now have to pick up the slack. No, it's the exercise of bringing the problem to the front, bringing it forward, laying it on the table and making sure that everybody recognizes that you can do it in a boardroom situation. You can do it one-on-one. You can do it with your clients and you can do it with your employees. It's just really identifying where we are in this process, how we're going to make this come together and figure this out. And we had a lot of success stories from that. We were able to turn around so many businesses. We were able to get, you know, husbands and wives on the same team again. We were able to get brothers reunited and, you know, siblings and just, uh, you know, that sibling love <laughs> happening again. But it, it took a lot of work. It took a lot and it took time. And that's the other thing too. Right now, we have a lot of uncertainty and we're dealing with a lot of I don't knows. So the best thing you can do is to really give yourself that time and let everybody know it's going to take time. It's not going to be a quick fix. We're going to have to work through these channels. And I'm not saying in the end that people aren't going to not be a fit anymore and they may need to go other routes and things like that. That can happen. But at least you know that you did everything possible to have that individual leave on a positive note. You work through these challenges. You help them see what was going on. And they're not walking away feeling like a piece of shit. They're feeling like, I actually may not have been a fit for that scenario, that, you know, job description. I may not have had the solutions, but I can actually go do something now with full confidence. And it's not just this, you know, ding in my armor. It's actually something I learned from. And I'm so grateful for that opportunity. That's the fortification we want to implement into our staff and want them to feel like they have in their arsenal so that they can then go do other things later on. And I promise you those relationships, believe it or not, will come back around and they will reward you later. You may have, there may be another project that that person gets wind of and all of a sudden you get a call out of the blue because they knew what kind of leader you were. Or you may end up in a situation where they are asking you for help with, you know, their own businesses. And I've had so many of those type of calls and people come to me over the years and say, you know, you really did know what needed to happen. You may not know my business now, but can you please just coach me through this, this problem? And so things like that will come back around. I promise you that is literally the most rewarding piece of being an entrepreneur that you will ever have. Money's a byproduct of doing those things right. I promise. So the last piece that um, was kind of a last you know, scenario I can think of that was very much prevalent um, 
was fast forward two years later when um, I had left the, the consulting world, um, kind of got my fill of that, but wanted to do something a little bit more on the spa and salon level. And I ended up working once again with a whole new group of people. And this time it was beauty people, which is a whole nother task in itself. Um, licensed, of course. Options, of course, can bounce around from spa to spa, do whatever. Um, don't like it here, go somewhere else. Clients now attached to these folks. You can't just rip somebody out of your organization because the clients love them and they want to see them. And most of them millennials. And the ones that weren't millennials, um, a little bit difficult because if they're struggling at an older age, then that means that they are having a disconnect in their careers. They're not able to retain clients. So you have to deal with that, you know, situation as well and understanding why aren't you able to retain clients? Why are you constantly looking for us to put promotions out for you um, and sell things at a discount when you've been doing this for 20 years? What's happening there? Um, so those conversations and once again, in the same boat where you're having to get folks really, really inspired and motivated. So the first thing is obviously social media now is coming into play. People have to be, you know, relationship driven in order to have success in a beauty and wellness space to begin with. So you've got a whole social media piece that you have to now be aware of and cognizant of that is important. Your clients are needing to get educated and they're needing to learn. Well, what if your millennial, you know, practitioners or the folks that you have on board really could give a flip and they really don't care. Um, they're just kind of there for the money. Or what if you have someone that's overly zealous and they're like, I want to start my own. How do I get my own going? And you're like, yeah, hold up, sister. You know, you got a lot to learn. So you have a lot of those types of personalities come into play. And over the years, I learned two things. First, if they don't care, no matter what you do to make them care, is going to affect it. They have to want it. But how do you actually help them want it? As a leader, it's your job to do that. As a leader, it's your job to help them see the value in what they're doing if you're going to stay invested in them. And my job over the years was always to, um, my constitution could, doesn't mean it has to be yours, but my constitution was always like, help people realize their greatness and step into it. Step into your greatness. Um, I've always had that kind of that mission mind and mindset and it's served me well over the years. It's been difficult. It's been a harder journey because it's much easier to cut people loose. But the reality is, is that if they can step into their greatness and they can build that peace, then you actually have a much stronger working relationship and you don't always you're not always guaranteed you're going to keep those people. They may go off into the sunset and build their own thing, but I promise you, your organization will, will have benefited from it, even if that happens. And then the second piece is to really just kind of remain true to who you're supposed to be in that whole process. Because I promise you, when you want to overcompensate again for situations that are not on par, you end up really giving a piece of yourself. Before you know it, you actually end up depleted and you end up working through a lot of things that aren't necessarily, you know, rewarding and you end up financially struggling as well. So we'll cover those two pieces before we wrap. 
first is that stepping into your greatness and helping people realize their greatness when they're really not acting like they want to be that great is a mental challenge to begin with. Right now we're in a time of uncertainty. People don't know what they're going to do. They don't know how much they're going to do, how little they're going to do. They don't know how to get themselves out of the, the funk that they're in. Um, they may get depressed. They may not know, you know, do I want to stay here? Do I want to work here? Do I want to work somewhere else? I don't even know. And you're just dealing with that kind of energy when you're coming in. Get down to the basics. Have a conversation. Again, get on the same side of the table and have a conversation about what it looks like to succeed. What does your ultimate success look like? What do you want to be doing? What is rewarding for you? And write it down. Acknowledge those pieces. Because if you have a really clear understanding on what that individual wants, I promise you, you're going to have so much more to work with. The biggest piece that I learned in my organizational development work was to actually go through the step of assessing people. And what I mean by that is assessing them on a personal conversation level, but also assessing them on a formal level. We did disc assessments at Myers-Briggs and work through actually understanding how they workflow, how they pattern, what they think, you know, and understanding where they're coming from. That took us so far in those scenarios when things were just off, when things weren't really hitting the mark, when people were just not really showing up the way they needed to. And again, we're talking about individuals that really had, you know, no real concern. The easy thing would have been to just let them go and find new people. There's a whole bunch of people out of work right now. But I promise you, no matter who you hire, you're still going to have to train them. You're still going to have to go through these same things because there's going to be something else that you're going to have to figure out. People are not just ready-made, you know, turn the wind them up and go you have to figure out their quirks as a true leader you have to understand what drives your people and why they're there and why they're and ultimately that trickles down to their relationship and your business relationship with your client so if you're not taking the time to understand these pieces you'll not be able to really serve your client on the utmost level I'm kind of a big mama bear when it comes down to that I'm I'm I protect my people, even from my clients. You know, if you ever read some of my old Yelp reviews from years ago, um, I would get very, very vocal about, you know, do not come at my people like this because ultimately one person's going to serve 5,000 clients, which was what our roster is right now. I think it's over 5,000. You're going to have one person, your, your group of people serving those people, but that one client being pissed off and setting that, that employee off for the rest of the day isn't worth it sometimes. And you have to really, really think about, you know, is it more important for your, your staff person to be their utmost best self while they're seeing the, the 50 clients that are booked on your books today? Or are you just going to, you know, uh, come down on that one staff person for that one client that was pissed off and then they are bitter and upset and treating the rest of the clients of the day badly. So those are the type of conversations that you will have to have first with yourself, what's more valuable to you. And second, you know, vocalize that to your staff as well. So coming back to this scenario with uninspired staff, you know, don't know what to do. You have a situation where you really do need to dive deep. And then at that point, you'll be able to identify if they're really a good fit or not. And sometimes the fact that you took the time to tease this stuff out and then show that individual how they would be a better fit doing something different 
makes all the difference in the world. I've had those conversations and I've let people go on that premise and they have brought me clients and they have maintained relationships with me for years. They still reach out to me because I took the time to acknowledge the, the, what, the writing on the wall. But that's something, it's an exercise that you'll have to go through. And again, taking the time, and it's a little bit of an expense, it's like 50, 60 bucks to do one of these assessments. We actually did a, a whole retreat on our assessments and made binders and everybody went around the table talking about everybody's strengths, everybody's weaknesses, and how we kind of fill in the gaps for each other. That was very fruitful and very necessary. And then the next type of, you know, challenge that I found in this beauty and wellness space was the go-getter that wanted to do everything all at once and thought she could conquer the world by, you know, just having a few months under her belt working with us. That's great. I always love to grab people by the back of the belt and be like, hey, slow down. You are running way faster than you need to. Then having to pull them by the front of the belt and be like, come on. So good types of folks to have on your on your roster as staff people a whole new set of problems though why because they like to make up the rules as they go they like to innovate they like to tell you everything that you're doing wrong and how they're going to present ways to do it better and in their minds they're cooking up ways on how they're going to go off and do it better themselves and you know have all these different scenarios playing out and when you don't follow their lead a lot of times they give you pushback and become a little toxic to the organization And so there's a whole nother way to tease that out. And that's very much about getting just familiar once again with their wants and needs. What is it that you want to see? What are some of your goals? How do you want to see this play out? Okay, so maybe you don't have a long-term run with us. Here's a layout on what it looks like for you to grow with us. And here's a layout what it looks like for you to grow on your own. And take the time to draw that out. And so... At that point, you can have a mutual expiration date that you co-created together. So you're going to be with us for, I'd say, about a year. You're going to learn some ropes and things like that. And then at that point, you're probably ready to run off and do your thing. But I want you to be ready. I want you to make sure that you have, and I want to be a support to you. I want to encourage you, and I want to support you from afar. So let's make sure honesty is the first and foremost thing. Let's be honest and totally transparent with each other. And at that point, you have real communication. You have real transparency, and you ultimately have a really good co-created outcome. I've had those conversations many times, too, with these folks where they have gone off and they've done their own thing, and they'll call you and they'll you know, ask you for suggestions and how do I work through these challenges. And then I have had folks that actually were so resistant to doing anything by the book or learning or anything. They just had it all figured out that they went off and spun out on their own and failed. And they're, they're wondering why. So it is very much as a leader in these uncertain times, it is our job to take the time to dissect these things. Um, again, my favorite tools are very much the disc assessment. I love StrengthsFinder, um, the book StrengthsFinder, and it actually helps you identify strengths. Um, has a little like website that you go to and Myers-Briggs is kind of my fallback if, if I can't get those dialed in pretty quickly, but usually I can. And then those conversations about what are your wants and needs, especially during this time of uncertainty when people are hurting. And I promise you may not have it all figured out like immediately, 
but you will come to a co-created outcome. And I use that word a lot because I really believe in it, that if you really do take the time to build the solutions together, that you will have a much stronger organization, much bigger buy-in. I recently had a staff meeting with some of my top play, uh, uh, people, um, players, if you will, that are very much in control and know their careers and know what they're doing. And I just, I was like, okay, so we may have to cut salaries. What do y'all think of that? And of course that was not a welcome conversation. It was like, what? Yeah, we may have to taper, you know, some fees back and you may not be making as much as you did in one area, but let's figure out ways you can make the same or more in others. I'm a big believer never put a cap on people's salary, always give them opportunities to build and, and, you know, sky's the limit, never put a a cap on, on what they can make and give them the power to do so. So, you know, we have set salaries, set bases, and then we have lots of commission structures, lots of different things like that. And so we had that conversation, very fruitful, very much unison. I encourage them to actually unite, build a mini union, if you will, and have, you know, conversations with each other about things that come up during this time of uncertainty and then present those to me in a way that is unified rather than me as as your leader getting piecemeal from each of you I don't like this we need to fix this because then it becomes a giant bitch fest right and no leader can really we can only take so much when it becomes a giant bitch fest but if you encourage your people and it sounds a little scary to have them actually come together and build a unity um, and you're like oh hell what if one leaves they all leave no doesn't necessarily play out like that I've seen it really very much like one leave they're like okay good luck we're staying here um if you encourage them to come together and talk through these things and build a unit then what happens is when you actually get those concerns and get those problems that come up again we all get on the same side of the table we look at it uniformly on the table as an object and we build the outcome together then it becomes a buy-in factor. Then I wasn't the one that's like, okay, so this is how we're going to fix it. You're going to do this. I'm going to do this. Done. Do the, follow the rules and everybody, you know, makes money. No, we actually tease it out together. We work through it and then there's buy-in factor and then the solution, whether it's fun or not, because sometimes it causes more work. Sometimes it causes more headaches to have to do the extra steps, but it was actually contributed by all and people have had had their voices heard. And that's the most important piece out of all of this time of uncertainty is really having that communication, really understanding that communication is everything with your staff. I'm going to wrap on that, guys. Thank you so much for spending this time with me. I look forward to chatting more with you um, in our next podcast uh, segment. And then in the meantime, do send me your questions. I'll be addressing them little by little. We're going to have some call-in dates as well. It's going to be fun. Um, enjoy the rest of your week and definitely continue to fortify with your entrepreneurial vitamins. Very important to stay strong in this time of uncertainty and crazy. That is the utmost biggest takeaway. And I promise you when all is said and done and you get on the other side of this, you're going to be very proud of yourself and very much at peace with how you were able to really, really get through these times of, you know, just shake out. It's time to see what happens. Take care guys. We'll talk to you next time.